You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Keller. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. So, guys, happy Monday. Uh, You know, sports are getting back to normal to some extent, although I fully confess, as we talk about what's going on in the world of business and sports, I remain a little bit obsessed. I was reading all weekend, listening to podcasts about the Super League that wasn't, and in part because... Yes, there are all these kind of TikTok postmortems about what went wrong, but this story is definitely not over. And reading the headlines this morning, we're talking on a Monday morning, there is potential ownership change coming to the Premier League, or at least talk about it. And nothing of late or nothing right now, Lynchy, when it comes to your friends at Fenway Sports Group and, and Liverpool, but over at Arsenal, uh, which of course is owned by Stan Kroenke, and who is also owns the Los Angeles Rams, of course, uh, he may get a competing bid from the founder and CEO of Spotify, along with some former players. This one stands to be a really interesting battle if it goes anywhere. What do you think? Well, I mean, Daniel Eck is talking with his heart, obviously, because he grew up uh, as a big fan of Arsenal, and he has three former players in his camp now, and they would like to buy. But the Kroenke family said they have no intention of selling uh, the uh, Arsenal football club right now. So that's one of many things that are being juggled in the air right now. Many of the teams, we know that there's a great deal of unhappiness still, even though the Super League deal is dead. I mean, the Irish Mirror published today a poll. Should the Big Six be punished for their Super League betrayal? And they had all kinds of categories and how they should be punished. You know, if this happened in the United States, it'd be a brush fire to be over in about three hours. But yeah. this is, has long lingering effects. So, Michael Barr, I was thinking about this over the weekend. And, you know, you're such a sort of voice for, for the fan out there. And, and I do wonder about this element, which is, The German teams didn't get involved in this in part because we don't have to get into the technical aspects of it, but essentially they have mandated, legislated to some extent, community ownership of the teams. Basically, the fans, the communities owned the teams, and so that ultimately prevented the German teams from signing on to this. Do you think that is a viable model? I mean, it it, it almost it's it's a sort of Green Bay Packers type yeah. setup to to some extent. It has worked, you know, sort of sporadically around here in the United States. What do you make of it? I always thought that was very workable because when you have many members in the community and you have a, a shareholders meeting, then you just like in any old shareholders meeting, you you vote on whether to do this or to do that, whatever. But when it's just one person owning the team, they control everything. And it, it, it will not go unnoticed to the teams that said, yeah, let's do this. And the fans are saying, okay, we won't forget that. So I, I, I believe that this could be the way to go. I mean, Lynchy, I think we, we are already talking about some legislation coming down in the U.K. that – could force this sort of issue. They're looking around the rest of uh, Europe, or they're looking around Europe. I, I Technically, the UK is not part of Europe post-Brexit, but they're looking uh, across the channel there at, at some of the things that happen in uh, in France and in Germany specifically, because neither of those countries had teams in this uh, initial dirty dozen, as it were, that were proposed <laughs> to be part of the, the Super League. Um, 
I, I mean, I also, I don't know, like, I, I, I just, I think about the the ramifications of this and, you know, whether it, it does change the, the way a John Henry or someone looks at building a portfolio. I mean, they seemed like an, an unstoppable juggernaut in terms of building out a portfolio of, of global sports franchises in many ways. I, I wonder if this gives someone like John Henry pause. You know, they've always been long-distance owners. Uh, they they occasionally come over for a, for a championship match, but they mostly stay over in Boston and the United States. And the word custodian is being used. I've yeah. never seen it used more than I have in the last week. And, you know, it used to have a, a nice connotation. I, I don't think it has a friendly connotation anymore. Custodian means somebody that rules or owns and governs from afar in terms of through the lens of the European football fan. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about this, as you guys can tell, in, in part because I helped produce a piece for our digital original series about American ownership. And Peter Moore, the former CEO of Liverpool, talked about this very idea as it related to Fenway Sports Group. And I think we talked about this last week, this notion of, you know, they're not really the owners. They just have sort of a commercial, you know, they're sort of responsible for the commercial side that the real owners are the fans. And uh, and that that certainly is, is a big reminder. Well, when it comes to ownership, we got to talk about the Mets, and and not necessarily the way we have been over the past few months with Stevie Cohen coming in and trying to rejuvenate that franchise, and obviously Devin Gordon, who was on this show, wrote a great book about the Mets and their history. But now comes news via our friends over at Sportico that the Wilpons, the former owners, are talking about selling. SNY network. Now we know Michael Barr, and this was a driver. Just you know, drawing some uh, some connective tissue here, creating some connective tissue here to the Super League. The broadcast money is where it all is in in modern day sports, and so the fact that this could get sold, this sporting network, TV network, could get sold. You know, has some ramifications and, and may give an, a new comp for, you know, what these broadcast rights are going to go to or what the networks and the media side are worth. I've always wondered why sell it, because like you said, that's where the coin is. Yeah. So 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 why get rid of it? I, but listen, there, there are business people way smarter than me that have reasoning for this. And it and you're right. This could change the entire landscape if you're talking about getting rid of SNY. Uh, the whole network, and, and first of all, who would be out there to buy it? Uh, and, and then second of all, what's the price tag? That's the one I want to see. What, what are we looking at? Well, and Lynchy, it, it does make me think, going back to Fenway Sports Group, right there in your backyard, I mean, Nesson, I believe, is what you guys call it up there. I mean, this yep. this has been a, a crown jewel, right, of Fenway Sports Group, and, and part of the real value of the broader portfolio comes from that broadcast piece. I have that right, right? You do have it right. Uh, the It's New England Sports Network, Nesson. Um, owned 80% by the Red Sox, 20% by the Boston Bruins. And win, lose, or draw, there are about 10 million boxes, cable boxes, around the New England area. And whether they, they don't care, the ratings mean nothing because they're getting money every single month into their coffers, win, lose, or draw. Now, over the year, products, you have to you know, improve your product. News stations, uh, what can we do to get, get better ratings? Ratings don't really matter. 
because the money's coming in, win, lose, or draw. And it, they have a wide network. Uh, the SNY, by the way, has 8 million in the greater New York area and 12 million subscribers uh, throughout, the, throughout the country. And, you know, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching on the first of every month. Yeah, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see, as, as you say, Michael Barr, who picks it up. Um, Sinclair apparently is is in there. Redbird Capital. Um, this is a well-known group that includes Billy Bean. It's a SPAC, and you know that leads us down a, a whole other road. Um, you know they have a small stake via uh, Fenway Sports Group. The, their recent investment there in Nesson, and you know I I also wonder what the valuation will be based on. The viewing habits, because as you alluded to, Lynchy, you know, obviously the the cable boxes are still very valuable. Live sports are the last bastion of of the folks who who still have not cut the cord. And yet, with this recent NFL broadcast deal, we saw Amazon pick up the rights to the Thursday night football games. We know that some of the viewership is shifting there, and so. Do these regional sports networks, you know, still have that cachet? They still do right now. That is for sure. Um, you know, and yet at the same time, I'm, I was looking at the Sportico website this morning. Um, you know, you've got WrestleMania, and we had Steph McMahon on this program not too long ago, the chief marketing officer over at the WWE. You know, WrestleMania has this massive deal with Peacock, the streaming service uh, owned by Comcast Universal and NBC Comcast. And, you know, there they are driving people uh, to to the streamers. So I, I just I, I don't know. I, I mean, for for folks, uh, for sports fans of, of a certain age, I just don't know whether that is the sort of comfortable, natural um, way to go. Uh, so, Lynchy, draft week. Uh, NFL draft week, it's always a big deal. It, it feels like it sort of snuck up on us this, this time uh, around a little bit. But the thing I'm most excited about, uh, this is ridiculous, but uh, I was scrolling through ESPN this morning. So Roger Goodell, apparently, he's vaccinated. So he's going to be up on stage and able you know, to give those like big man hugs to, to the big guys who are going to be playing in the NFL. But, you know, the, listen, the NFL draft is incredibly important to the business of football. It sets a lot of parameters and precedent around how much we're paying players. And given everybody who's going out in this draft, it's going to shape the NFL immediately, not just uh, in the long term. And nothing is more interesting than drafting quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, you can defensive backs, cornerbacks, they're, they're fine. Safeties are fine. But when quarterbacks are front and center, it gets a lot of attention. And there are a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, including the New York Jets and the New England Patriots and a lot of other teams. And and there are at least five quality quarterbacks that are going to go very, very early in this draft. So there's going to be a lot of attention. It's in Cleveland, and Cleveland rocks, as we know. And they've invited, I think, was a little bit more than a dozen players are going to be there on hand, and uh, the rest of them are going to be virtual. So this is going to be a big difference. Last year when Roger Goodell was in his basement, yeah. Uh, when the when the draft was held. So this is and it, you're right. It's uh, think of the economic impact if the New York Jets make a splash, people running out buying jerseys, uh, maybe trying to, uh, you know, increase marketing, uh, increase exposure. I mean, you get you get a, a stud coming in there. It changes everything. Well, you know, I've been thinking about, I mean, to go back to the to the the Super League and, and we've all been digging in a little bit more to understand some of the nuances of 
English football. And, you know, one of the brilliant things I think we're reminded of with this NFL draft, Michael Barr, is the by far, I mean, there's it's seemingly no chance that the number one pick isn't Trevor Lawrence. And the number one pick is held by the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've got a new coach in Urban Meyer. I mean, this is a team that really could go. I mean, you think about the um, the economic implications of winning in the NFL. Uh, this could be a game changer for the city of Jacksonville and for that franchise, which, with all apologies to our beloved colleague uh, Dave Wilson at Bloomberg Radio, who is a uh, big, big Jaguars fan – I mean, this team sort of sucks. Sorry. I mean, like they are really, they are really, they've really been tough to watch. <laughs> Hello, is this thing on? Yeah. <laughs> it, they, they, I listen. They, it has been tough to watch the Jacksonville Jaguars, but this could be a turnaround. And keep in mind now, there are several teams that have a lot of first rounders. Yeah. Um, and I think Detroit, they made some deals where. You know, we can get some first rounders in there also. Sorry, I got to bring it up, but it it is true. So a lot of people are going to be watching this. And it, one other thing that I I always thought about with, with the NFL draft last year, we, we did the best we could. I mean, yes, we saw Goodell in his basement with his pool table right behind him, or whatever it was, and it. But it just wasn't the same. At least this year, we're going to get a chance to see things. It's going to be great for Cleveland. Because a lot of people, I, I wonder what the the arrangement's going to be for the fans coming in. Because, I mean, obviously you can't, you know, have it as crowded as you usually did in the past. But you can have some fans in there yelling, it's like, what'd you pick him for, this, that, whatever. Yeah. And that's the excitement of, of watching the NFL draft. I, I, I want to see how that goes. Well, and, you know, we've been talking a lot about broadcast over the course of this conversation, Lynchy. I mean, and you got to hand it to the NFL. I mean, they've turned what is really just kind of a, a series of business decisions into this major broadcast event, multi-day. Once they took it out, I mean, it was exciting in Radio City Music Hall, but once they took it on the road, I mean, Nashville obviously is the example everybody pushes toward. You know, you see these pictures of everybody partying and concerts and things like that. It is kind of brilliant to turn it into an event because it's a draft. I mean, that's kind of incredible. I mean, think of any, all the other sports. The NBA draft is, is, is the only thing that comes close to yep. it. But the National Football League draft is big. And, and the, the night they released the schedule. Yeah. They've made that That's into right. a show all by itself. Imagine releasing the schedule like, you know, all right, coming up uh, after this break, we'll have games five, six, seven, and eight. And, you know, people are hanging in there. Oh, my God, who's going to who? Are we going to get a Monday night game? Are we going to get a Sunday night game? Are we going to get a Thursday night game? And then everyone gets out their, their pens and they they, they write uh, wins and losses. They have projections on, on how the season's going to go for their particular team. The NFL is just brilliant, uh, just absolutely brilliant, and they have been for a long time. I'm looking forward to this draft. I mean, I'm blocking everything out on Thursday night and the so, combine I'm sorry to interrupt yeah, but I mean yeah. shoot we the combine we, yeah, yeah we yeah. didn't we didn't care I mean only people that cared about the combine were guys like us that had to cover the teams right you know, it, and now that's you know this is huge so uh, I'm excited so if you're in the front office of the Patriots Lynchy what are you thinking yeah. about on uh, as as draft approaches yeah. and 
you anticipate at least some of the moves that, that are going to move around. I mean, there's a lot. I, I do feel like we haven't seen a year like this in a long time. A, with so many quarterbacks available in the draft. You know, we've seen a lot of offseason movement, obviously, in, in Detroit, Los Angeles, um, and beyond Carolina. Um and and no real movement in knowing in New England uh, so far. But I read this morning that the Falcons, you know, my team, you know, mm-hmm. Julio Jones may be, uh, you know, on the table at, at some point. If you're sitting in the in the Pats front office, what are you thinking? Well, if I was sitting in the front office, I would try to move up. And I still love Mac Jones out of Alabama. That's the yeah. guy. I think he's a prototypical NFL quarterback. Uh, I think he might be gone. He could be gone to. San Francisco, if not, he might get scooped up by Denver at number seven. The Patriots are at 15 right now. And ostensibly, they're cutting uh, Cam Newton a lot of slack with this COVID he had last year. They think they've surrounded him now with some from the free agent market. They made a big splash with tight ends, a couple wide receivers. And unless they make a deal, they're going with him again this year. And that's got a lot of people scratching their heads. But everyone's kind of waiting to see what Belichick's going to do here. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, one thing I did want to mention, because it happened after we taped last week going into the weekend show, and we really spent the whole weekend show rightly, I think, uh, talking about the Super League. And and if you didn't hear that, check it out, because we had Jordan Gardner, who is an owner, uh, a minority owner in the Premier League and also a majority owner uh, in Denmark. Uh, They had actually a nice win over the weekend. So our thanks to him. We also caught up with Robbie Musto over uh, an analyst at NBC sports covering the premier league. And then our colleague, Tom Metcalf as well, breaking down sort of the banking side. He had a nice piece subsequent to that about the bank that is underwriting this new push by the, by the champions league. But one story that came out um, on Friday was Simone Biles, obviously one of the most decorated Olympic athletes in American history, a sort of, gravity-defying, record-breaking Olympic gymnast. She is moving from Nike to Athleta. Athleta, of course, is the women-focused brand owned by Gap. Uh, Relatively small, about a billion dollars a year in revenue, certainly paling in comparison to Nike. You know, Lynchy, I I think about this a lot, as you know, in part because Nike has a little bit of a problem when it comes Mm. to hanging on to athletes and, and candidly, especially hanging on to prominent female athletes. I feel like every couple months, this new story comes out about a woman who was slighted or worse, you know, maybe mistreated, especially around a pregnancy or, or coming back. Uh, and athlete empowerment. We talk about it on this show all the time. This is Simone Biles, you know, voting with her feet and her somersaults to some extent. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this Nike problem on the show um, uh, several months ago, but Simone Biles, uh, you know, she's going to Athleta now, and she just likes what the company stands for. It's yeah. a, a company by women, for women. Uh, 97% of the employees in the company are female. Uh, the company stands uh, not only for athletic gear, but also for uh, diversity and inclusion, which, you know, have been right to the forefront of every, almost every single conversation over the past year or so. And Michael Barr, it's it's the most recent proof that athletes are really concerned, as more concerned in in some cases, and and taking a longer view about what happens off the court, off the field, outside the gym, 
how they're perceived, what they're putting their names on. And, and somebody, I was talking to one of our analysts at Bloomberg about this, made the really important point. This is increasingly important to consumers, you know, mm -hmm. that they want to be associated with brands that they feel like are consistent with their own values. And so a younger consumer, it's not surprising that a younger athlete like Simone Biles is going to take that exact approach. Athleta, it, what a brilliant move because of just what you said. And now you have Simone Biles as one of the faces for your product and with a company that has many women involved in, in high places. That's what you need. You need to see something like that. And, and, and sometimes it's not about the money all the time. Right. You know, Nike, yes, they've, they've got, they've got deep pockets. But it's always not about the money. It's it's and that's a life lesson. Sometimes if you feel that you're doing the right thing, then do it instead of just going for the money grab. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at Lynchy WCVB. And I'm Jason Kelly. Find me at Jason Kelly News. We're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday talking about the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week. We're going to catch up with the CEO of Churchill Downs. You can hear the trumpets blaring. Michael Barr, the horsies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Here comes Sabretooth. You're listening to Bloomberg. CS a Flintstone. Anyway, you're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcasts.